Hey there, everybody. My name is John Mariano, and I'm from the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. I am here to let you know that we have a plethora of shows on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed, and whatever you do, do not tune in. You don't want to hear from Corey Morissette, Jeff Hillbilly, Scripps Saunders, Mark Eden Clyer, Thomas Russling, or myself. All of our shows are hot garbage. They are structured stupidity, and they are not worth your listen. So whatever you do, do not tune in to the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. We do not want any new fans at all. Back to you. Greetings, puny humans. This is Morbo, the newscaster. I am pleased, yet sticky, to tell you that you are listening to the power of positive geeking. I will destroy you! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Power of Positive Geeking right here on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. And I guess right off the hop, a bit of an announcement. Uh, this is also going to be the final episode of The Power of Positive Geeking here on the Feeding the Monster podcast. Uh, it's episode 20, and uh, I can't think of a better way to go out than uh, than the topic and the uh, guest that we have this week. Um, but first, uh, I got to give a huge uh, thank you, first of all, to all the people uh, who've listened to this show uh, over the past year. Uh, I've had a lot of fun bringing it to you, but I've just found that sometimes life gets in the way. And sometimes uh, you, you just got to take a step back and, and kind of focus on on the things that, that are really important to you. And right now, for me, that's my family. And uh, so I'm going to be stepping away from the podcasting game uh, for uh, the foreseeable future. But I just want to let you all know that um, you're still in good hands with Feeding the Monster. These guys are absolutely fantastic. Made a lot of great friends and had a lot of a lot of fun uh, hanging out with these guys over the past year. Uh, of course, uh, Thomas Rissling, John Mariano, Jeff Saunders, Mark uh, Kamire, and uh, now Christy McGee, uh, who's now joined the fold. And uh, Zach Anderson, who's also playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons with the crew as well. Um, just a fantastic group of people. Uh, so keep it locked on Feeding the Monster. Let's run down the shows for you one more time. Uh, Mondays, uh, you have the Jeff Saunders uh, Day. It's Mr. Saunders Sandbox, Hoot and Holler, and uh, Be Home by Dinner. Uh, you can find those dropping on Mondays. Uh, Tuesdays is going to be the main show for these fellows. Are we wearing pants? Always a good time. On uh, Wednesdays, it's Mark Kamire and Rantings of a Maniac. Uh, Friday, he also does his uh, dive live. Uh, grab a drink and uh, just uh, shoot the shit with a really good dude. And, of course, Saturday on the YouTubes, we have Truly Bizarre World and Walking with Big Feet, which is coming very soon. And the Monday Mornings, the new show with uh, with uh, Thomas and John and Christy, which is just a phenomenal show. I've had a lot, a lot of fun watching it. Um, so thank you very much to Feeding the Monster for giving me this platform to, to bring you this show uh, for the past year. I'd also like to thank uh, the amazing Maurice LaMarche, who uh, recorded my intro uh, as uh, Morbo the newscaster from Futuronima, one of my uh, favorite shows. Very, very nice of him to do so. And uh, a very special thank you to all the amazing guests who've agreed to come on uh, over the past year, over the past 20 episodes. I'm thinking of, of guys like Lowell Dean, writer-director of Wolf Cop, who uh, came on and did a great show with us. Uh, Janine the Machine, uh, who did two shows uh, with me and uh, absolutely nailed it. I love talking movies with Janine. Of course, the entire Feeding the Monster crew has been on. I've had some friends uh, from my past, like uh, Jeff Allen, uh, former uh, uh, film student uh, with me when I was in film school back at the University of Regina. Uh, Don Sparrow was a great illustrator here uh, in Canada. I had a couple of great uh, radio guests recently in uh, Kelly Rempel and Michael Ball from 104.9 The Wolf. 
and of course the amazing ken knapsack which was my uh, previous show if you haven't listened to that one please do so we had a lot of fun talking about the traveling wilburys but uh, to go out with here uh, i got a fantastic guest and i've been wanting to bring him on for a while uh, you know him around the twitter sphere and around the discord servers as old handsaw uh, he's a really, really good dude, and uh, he agreed to come on the show, and we're going to talk about one of our favorite albums of all time, News of the World by Queen. So one last time, let's get positive and geek out about Queen and News of the World. Welcome back to the Power of Positive Geeking. My name is Corey Morset, and joining me this week, he's a legend on the Discord servers of Ken Knapsack, the GPA, the Wangers. Uh, you'll know him on Twitter as well. Uh, he's old handsaw. How's it going this afternoon, sir? Oh, pretty good, Corey. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to get you on the show. Uh, I know you're, you're kind of a, a classic rock fan like myself. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your musical background. Uh, well, um, <laughs> just... Um, like I said, I uh, grew up in the, uh, you know, born in the 60s, grew up through the 70s, uh, kind of went through the disco and uh, uh, worked my way up through the classic rock artist. And then towards late 90s uh, or late 80s, I started working uh, through like a lot of college rock <laughs> and actually started a band, did that for a few years. Uh ended up moving to North Carolina from Louisville and just kind of dropped off the music scene, like probably mid nineties and kind of actually at that time, I started going back and rediscovering a lot of stuff that I missed the first time around. So, you know, I was picking up on queen ELO, uh, just uh, Tom Petty, just all these bands. I just kind of like brushed to the side when I was younger, didn't quite get them yet. Warren Zevon, you know, stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, and, come back around to that oh man we're gonna have to talk about tom petty sometimes because that's, okay. that's an artist too that i had to come back to uh i watched that great peter bogdanovich documentary called running down a dream it's like four hours mm -hmm. long but it's an amazing history on tom petty and uh and queen as well um i just got people on the uh listening to this on the podcast don't know this but is that a rickenbacker hanging on your wall behind you there that is that is a rickenbacker yes and right <laughs> next to it on the other side that is a brian may red special the red special very it's nice. a red special it's a little dark back there but <laughs> <laughs> but it is actually red it's not the black version yeah it's it's the red special it's it's the uh actually brian may version that they made over in england it's not quite scale but it's it's a nice little guitar and it's something i always wanted and i finally <laughs> just broke down and got it one day <laughs> i've always wondered the uh the, the red special uh imit or not imitation so much but it's obviously not the real red special how does it sound does it sound like brian may it's got some good tone <laughs> yeah. and it's got a lot of options for tone which is a struggle to figure out sometimes sometimes you just want three knobs you know you mm -hmm. know bass treble volume and you know this thing has got like 130 different combinations of switches you know <laughs> <laughs> so and, and some of them are just the same you know but three pickups, six switches, it's a very, it's kind of complicated to figure out. So I've had to go online and just kind of try to figure out some of these settings for that thing. Uh, but uh, trick, uh, put in like a trouble booster, 
get that tone. <laughs> I, you, I think Brian May is one of the most underrated uh, mm -hmm. rock guitarists of all time. Uh, for those that don't know, the Red Special is his signature guitar that he homemade with his father. It actually just did a, a massive uh, restoration of uh, in the last 20 years. Um, but the, whenever you hear that, that, that guitar uh, strike a chord, you know exactly who you're listening to. And to me, that's the hallmark of a great band when you can just turn on the radio and, and listen to a few bars and know, oh, that's Queen. And you can do that thanks to Brian May and the Red Special. And he actually uh, released a book about the guitar too it's got the history of them touring and with his father building guitar and i think in the 90s 2000 sometime he actually had to take it apart so they can rewire it and fix it and when they did that they actually went through and did x-rays and just went and went full just pictures and everything so it's it's a beautiful book and a lot of great history <laughs> Uh, from an absolute guitar legend who uh, doesn't even play with a pick. Uh, do you know what he plays with, uh, Old Handsaw? It's a coin. Yeah, it's a sixpence. Sixpence coin. Of course, I think he has those custom made now with his picture on them. So. <laughs> he does. You can get him at the merch table for his shows. Uh, yep. Have you seen Queen uh, live? I, that is one of uh, the ones I really wanted to see. Uh, came real close. I actually came really close to singing the Brian May Band in the 90s. Uh, they were touring. He was actually opening for Guns N' Roses. That's right. And it was one of those towns where Axel was getting kind of flaky, and <laughs> he ended up postponing the show. Well, when they came back around and rescheduled, Brian May wasn't part of that tour anymore. So I actually didn't even go. I just refunded my ticket, and I was really going to see Brian May. But uh, I'm, hopefully sometime when touring starts again, maybe Adam Lambert and them will come back around to the u.s i think you can count on it the uh popularity of the movie bohemian rhapsody has really uh, rejuvenated queen mm -hmm. uh, i've been lucky enough to see him twice once with paul rogers in mm -hmm. minneapolis which was amazing uh, it was funny actually we got to visit with paul rogers neighbor uh, who was staying at the same hotel with us before the show. We're having a beer or a pint. And uh, he was talking to us about what kind of neighbor Paul Rogers was. That was a phenomenal show. I remember coming back, We uh, the hotel was right across the street from the venue, and everybody was just singing Queen songs all the way across the street into the hotel, into the elevator. It was amazing. And then uh, Queen and Adam Lambert came to Saskatoon uh, just a few years ago, and, and we had great seats for that. They put on a hell of a show. Well, I tell you, Paul Rogers really did a lot of those Brian May songs justice. Like time yes, not so much the like Freddie songs, but the, yeah. the Brian May the, songs. The, the blues bass, rock bass stuff was definitely uh, suited for Paul Rogers. And the best part about that tour was is that they played uh, Paul Rogers songs as well. So they played yeah. some Bad Company and they played Free. So you got uh, Can't Get Enough of Your Love, All Right Now, Feel Like Making Love. They did them all and it was it was awesome. All right, but we're here to talk about uh, uh, Queen and their... Uh, Geez, one of their best albums, News of the World, one of my all-time favorites. And I can't even remember, old hands saw right off the hop, how we got talking about News of the World. It was something you tweeted, I'm sure. So I'm like, oh, I got to get him on the show. We got to talk about News of the World. Someone posted on Twitter some of the, uh, what were your favorite songs that were over five minutes long? Oh, right. And It's Late just jumped out at me. It's the, and you came back and said it's one of their underrated classics, and I totally agree. That should have been a single. I don't think it was. I think it was just We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions, and I don't even think Spread Your Wings was a single here in the U.S. Uh, no, they only had like two or three off the top. Uh, uh, Spread Your Wings is listed as a single. Uh, it's Late was actually uh, released in uh, 
uh, the U.S., Canada, New Zealand, and Japan only, according to Wikipedia. So, okay, but yeah, I, say, I didn't really recall recall it until I heard the album. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, of course, everything was dominated by "We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions." So, yeah, you know, and spread, like I said, I don't think "Spread Your Wings" even made an impact in the Midwest where I grew up. And uh, in Canada, it did. But after the fact, I remember uh, when I first got into Queen was probably the uh, early 90s. I was in film school in Regina, Saskatchewan, and a buddy of mine had rented uh, Queen live at Wembley 86 from the library, the VHS copy of the concert and uh, blew me away. You, you, you don't even realize how many classic songs Queen have written until you see a concert of theirs. Like, oh, they did that one. Oh, they did that one. <laughs> like songs you may have just kind of heard uh, in the ether at the time and you attribute them all to Queen. Um, well, how did you kind of get into Queen? You said you kind of had to circle back to them later in life. Yeah. Well, like I said, 77 was probably my big introduction. Like I said, in, in the Midwest, you know, a, a night at the opera, Day at the Races, earlier stuff, really didn't play a whole lot where I was growing up and listening to radio. And when We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions hit, it was just all over the place. So all of a sudden, Queen was the biggest band in the world. But there was a lot going on in 77, too. (laughs) You know, that there was just like a culmination, just all the pop culture hitting right at that moment was star wars cb radios disco bgs and this was just piled right there with it so that's some of my fondest so this was actually probably the album that got me started on the path well and that's a good album to start on the path because uh in the history of queen they they kind of started off as like a, a hard rock uh, almost heavy metal band. If you listen to Queen too, like uh, th- oh, that's the launching point for a lot of uh, hard rock artists like Nikki Six slash those kind of guys. They loved Queen too, and then they went into a night at the opera, a day at the races, which were considerably different. Uh, <laughs> a lot more yeah. Freddie influence on those albums, exactly. Whereas, yeah. and then you get News of the World in '77, kind of a return to form in a lot of ways. I know it was kind of an answer <laughs> to punk uh, a little bit. They, they kind of talked about it's still kind of an eclectic uh, mix of songs, which we'll talk about when we get into the track by track, but. Um, Brian May maybe had a little bit more influence on this one. Do you think a lot more guitar, a lot more rock in this one? I feel like he dominated this one a little bit more. This one felt like Freddie might have taken the back seat on a little bit. You know, he had his ballads, but um, it was also the first album where I think uh, Deacon and Roger Taylor both had like two songs each. Exactly. Yep. You know, so it, it but I think Brian May had four and just the straightforwardness of the guitar he didn't really do the over orchestration parts he did more pitch writing and harmonizing effects with the guitar on this one mm-hmm. but i mean the tone on this album <laughs> for his guitar it, i mean that just it sounds muted and muffled but it still sounds great you know <laughs> it really does and uh, we're going to get into news of the world here a little bit now uh released uh october 28th 1977 by uh, emi records uh peaked at number three on the billboard 200 eventually went on to uh, sell 10 million copies worldwide uh four million uh, in the state so it's uh, four times platinum uh, in the u.s uh it has now become one of the absolute all-time queen classics uh, let's talk a little bit about the cover right off the hop um, you, you got that that classic uh, imagery of, of the of the robot kind of uh, killing the, the members of the band <laughs> on the front cover. It, it's become this iconic image now to the point where 
uh, one of their uh, previous tours, they actually had the robot, I believe his name is Frank, mm. kind of front and center uh, right on the screen uh, before the, uh, the the show started. Uh, what do you think about the cover? That was the other thing that, like I said, everything was culminating at that time, and sci-fi was one of the big things. And, hey, robots and pe bloody people falling to their death, <laughs> band members, you know, that draws in a nine-year-old kid, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it was it was based on the 50s cover, right? Um, I believe so, yeah. Amazing Stories or something like that, Paul Kelly Freeze yep. actually redid the artwork from an original piece and added the band in that. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful uh, cover work. And, and that's really the time when you'd go to the record store, you're getting your vinyl. Mm -hmm. the, the cover really kind of means a lot, right? Nowadays to, to kids, uh, you know, the Christy McGee age, they don't really care too much about cover art, but for Just us old folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that, you All know, right. so the robots and uh, ELO with the spaceship, you know, that was, you yeah. know, that was where it was at for a nine-year-old kid at that time. You know, Boston, uh, remember the mm -hmm. uh, WLP for Boston had a cool cover. Journey always had cool covers. Like, even my very first album, which was uh, Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, had that great tiger face right on the front. Well, and, and uh, the fact that this album cover actually was the basis for uh, part of a Family Guy episode. That's right. So, you know, just the part where uh, Brian is freaking Stewie out with the album cover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I forgot all about that. That's great. All right. So we're going to get into the track by track. Now we're going to talk about, you know, who who wrote the song. Uh, there's a couple songs where the majority of the uh, song is played by one member of the band. It's not who you think it yeah. is. Uh, but we're going to yeah. start things off with, I think, probably the best one two punch of any album in the history of music. You're starting things off with We Will Rock You. Everybody knows We Will Rock you um you know it's a brian may composition uh, in the movie he described it as i want a, a song that the audience can perform back to us and it's become this anthemic thing you can't go to a sporting event without hearing we will rock you um it, it's that classic just uh, four by four right you got boom boom clap pause right very very and, simple but iconic and it's you know it's probably the quintessential you know stadium rock anthem that anybody can do and um, like I said, it just it connects with the audience, the band with the audience. You know, I think Brian May mentioned that they were at a show one time and the audience, they had done their encores and the audience was still singing to them. And so that's where they kind of come together and say, hey, we need to have some kind of audience participation to join in. And that is about the simplest thing he could think. And I think he probably used some of his astrophysics math to put together the rhythm. And <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a simple beat, but you know, boom, boom, clap, you know? Yeah. And it, it's become a, a hallmark of Queen concerts. I know both the shows I went to, uh, you, you kind of know when it's coming to the set list. It's always right before we are the champions and you get ready. When you got 18,000 people stomping and clapping along, um, it's, it's magic. It's an amazing moment. And um, did they do the fast version at those shows, later shows? Uh, they had not. No, uh, that's uh, something I, I'm missing because, yeah, for those that don't know, if you pick up like Live Killers or mm -hmm. a Queen Rocks Montreal, a Queen on Fire as well, I believe, Live at the uh, Bowl, um, they, they kick off the concert with a live, uh, fast, uh, full band version of We Will Rock You. That is incredible. Like to, to have a song you can re, you know, redo and do it twice in the same concert, make them two separate things and make them both amazing. I don't think that's ever been done before. No, and... Um... I was going to bring this up. There's also, I don't know if you've heard, there's a Queen on Air 
uh, box set that actually has the John Peel sessions from uh, BBC One, and oh. it actually has a studio recorded version of that. It might be the only one, mm-hmm. but I highly recommend that. Uh, yes, so I, and I, I probably I probably mentioned a few times here because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, alternative tracks mm-hmm. to that album, and I think they actually put some of those on the 40th anniversary edition too. They did, which uh, my wife actually got me on vinyl here not that long ago. An amazing compilation of just everything from that era in Queed. Uh, aside from just the album, which is perfect. You get a whole CD of B-sides. You get a ton of artwork. It's just amazing. Yeah, and the one you probably want to forget is the Rick Rubin <laughs> ruined <laughs> remix that they put on the Hollywood Records one in 91, I think. You know, it starts off well. Like, like after it kind of finishes, we'll rock you proper. Then a drum beat kicks in, and, and then you get a little, uh, little yeah, guitar. It's like, okay, this is okay. And then the scratching comes in. You're like, oh, I don't yeah. know if that works now. And that's the Chili Peppers. That's, oh. that's that's Chad Smith and Flea that he recruited to come in there and lay that beat down. And oh. then I guess they reused. It sounds like they got like Tie Your Mother Down and uh, Stone Cold Crazy. They just like took a bunch of the solos and overdubbed over that. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's a little... <laughs> ruined by rick rubin was kind of an appropriate way to bill it exactly i think it was tongue-in-cheek and he knew it and that's why yeah. he, he uh, built it that way but uh also just want to bring up that uh, you mentioned bohemian rhapsody the movie a uh, little iffy on the timeline of when that song was written <laughs> in the movie Exactly. Freddie had the mustache, I believe, at that point, which we know yeah. didn't happen until the 80s. And yeah, and that was my main gripe with the movie was that it just played with the timeline for seemingly no reason. Like yeah, there's no reason it, to bump that into the 80s. Yeah, it made it look like it was written like during the game era or something. So exactly. Yeah. Uh, don't don't believe the hype. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wheel Rocky, what else can you say? Absolute uh, classic and a banging mm-hmm. way to kick off the album. And it was the B-side to the next song uh part two of the best one two punch in music history we are the champions uh originally uh conceived i believe in 1975 released in 1977 uh it's a freddie song um a lot of people at the time took it as being quite egotistical but he means it as not i am the champions we everyone Right. are the champions and it's this amazing moment um to i, I can't even watch uh, the live eight set from bohemian rhapsody when they're doing we are the champions because I, I get a little teary uh, it still stirs up so many emotions in me one of the best songs ever written yeah and i think brian may said it once in an interview it, it just the song has a great unifying power to it for the audience you know just to come in there and you know freddie probably the only person can get away with something like maybe elton john <laughs> but just being you know it might seem a little pompous and cheeky and you know but yeah it's like y'all came to the show you chose wisely let's celebrate you know we are the yeah. champions now you know you could go the other way too and it's like well the verse in that is also nah, 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 nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know so you know there might be a little bit of cheekiness to that it's a little bit no time for losers <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but you know what? for a podcast like my own that uh, you know speaks preaches the power of positivity to me we are the champions is a very mm-hmm. positive song and one of the reasons why i wanted to branch out into music when i um, started doing this show not really much else you could say uh colossal hit uh, one of the most recognizable songs anywhere in the world everybody knows we are the champions yeah, uh, but, and, um, well actually and i'm sorry <laughs> as i was no, uh, but you know we were saying too like you know just the, the pop culture com- uh, converging it was also you know we will rock you we are the champions but at that time that was right after rocky came out too so where we were at locally 
we would get that, but we would also get Bill Conti's, you know, gonna fly now. Oh yeah. So like it was like instead of having the two songs, we'd get the three back to back and it was just all celebratory, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first time hearing We're the Champions was from the movie Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and that was my introduction to we're the champions but i, I was I remember watching that movie as a kid like oh i did pretty great song and it fits the end of this movie kind of perfectly so mm-hmm. uh, but you can hear we're the champions anywhere just one of those yeah uh undeniable songs uh the next song uh kind of interesting it's sheer heart attack um not from the album sheer heart attack uh, which, <laughs> their third album um it was half written they say uh, during the time of sheer heart attack with roger uh, singing the chorus at the time uh, but they did the definitive version here for um, News of the World. And Roger ended up playing not only drums, but rhythm, guitar, and bass on this as well. Right. Right. So kind of yeah. interesting in that uh, this song was mostly uh, recorded by one member of the band, and it wasn't Brian or it wasn't Freddie. It was Roger. And Roger was kind of the one that kind of broke away and did the solo stuff first, I think. You know, Strange yes, Frontiers. Yes, he was with the Crocs, yeah. yeah, and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, you, you could say it was maybe ahead of its time. Just the the neat little tricks on that album you know you know the speeding i don't know if they sped up the tape or they slowed it down to make it play back faster if it was done uh, post production or anything like that but just a little tricks like that and then just that cut off right at the end (laughs) you think what happened did my record skip (laughs) you know (laughs) i love that this is very much a a punk song and it was kind of cool because they were recording news of the world in the same studio that the sex pistols were recording uh never mind the bollocks Uh, they had some run-ins uh with uh (laughs) sid ferocious or whatever freddie used to call him (laughs) yeah uh yeah it was uh you bringing ballet to the masses you know (laughs) yeah yeah uh great great up-tempo number by queen though and one that they did do live a few times i think uh, queen on fire uh, you can catch a killer live version got to be tough to play at that speed though like that it's a pretty mm-hmm. fast song yeah and uh i think freddie actually did the vocal live too that's yes. I, th- I think he was trashing like microphones and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> and then from that we go into a nice uh kind of a bluesy number all dead all dead uh written and sung by brian may uh, who also played piano on the track with uh, Freddie Mercury on background vocals. Uh, legend has it, or sorry, legend has it uh, that the song is partly inspired by the death of his boyhood pet cat. So <laughs> we just got it known for writing songs about cats. Uh, here, here's kind of another one. Yeah, and uh, this is one where I like um, Brian May does the lead vocal, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, and he he's, you know, he's kind of got that sad, mournful vocal that comes across in his songs so well. And if you actually, uh, the 40th anniversary version, there's actually a Freddie Mercury hybrid vocal version of that too. But I think Brian May still has the best take on his own lyrics. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's one thing about uh, Queen in their harmonies, right? You had Roger for the higher stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie was just that amazing kind of right in the middle. And Brian too, like they all just kind of slot in together, just kind of perfect and make those harmonies just amazing. Right. And the uh, the guitar section in this is, is beautiful. It almost simulates like a little quartet or something, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the over dubs that he did on that one. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, coming off a of sheer heart attack, I love the sequencing of this album. And this is kind of a nice come down from uh, the super fast sheer heart attack. You get all dead, all dead. And yeah. then into a uh, John Deacon uh, uplifting number here, we have Spread Your Wings. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, released as a single, didn't do much, but I remember it was on uh, Greatest Hits 
uh, one or two, I can't remember right off the hop, but that's where I first heard it. I'm like, this is a really great, like this should have been a big song for Queen and I, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure why it wasn't. Yeah, and you know, just for a moment, John Deacon, come on. I mean, he's, he's kind of like their secret hit machine, you know? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what, probably before We Will Rock You, we, uh, we Are the Champions, the thing I knew them for was You're My Best Friend. Mm-hmm. which is another Deacon composition. And I never knew it was Queen because it doesn't sound like Queen, you know. But, you know, he was doing songs, you know, I know One Bites of Dust, you know. Yep. I Everyone thought that free. was a Freddie song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to break free. Another one. Oh, that's got to yeah. be a Freddie song. No, that was yeah. written by the uh, straight married bass player. Mm-hmm. And I just get the feeling like him and Freddie probably worked really well together. Yeah, I I get that impression as well, to the point that after Freddie died, uh, John only did a couple of things. I know they did that one song for the Queen Rocks album, uh, Only the Good Die Young. And I think he did one performance with Elton John at a ballet, and then he just kind of walked away from it all. Yeah, uh, like I said, kind of missed. Um, I think I think the band kind of misses him too. They they mention him every now and then. They say, you know, we didn't just lose Freddie, we lost John too. You know. <laughs> yeah, and a big part of Queen. They went through a lot of bass players before they settled on John Deacon. And like you said, the Secret Hit Machine. All four members of Queen have written number one singles, mm-hmm. which I think is a yeah uh, maybe the only time in rock history that's ever happened. But not only are they like almost virtuoso performers on their instruments. Yeah. Uh, but also just amazing songwriters as well. Yeah. And th- th- to me, this this is a song that really should have been uh, an outstanding Queen classic. Right. And like I said, John was just uh, kind of the quiet soul of the band. You know, he could, he could lay down the bass parts, you know, and he was a darn good bass player. <laughs> but some of the, the best uh, bass lines in history, and everybody knows the bass line to Under Pressure, and everybody knows the bass line to Another One Bites the Dust, and that's all John Yeah, Deacon. but go back and listen to Millionaire Waltz or something like that. And exactly. It, just, it blows you away. Yeah. Uh, an absolute classic, Spread Your Wings. If you haven't heard it, uh, go listen to it, because it's uh, a classic John Deacon composition and a classic Queen uplifting uh, amazing song. Uh, no backing vocals on that track at all. It's all just raw Freddy. Mm-hmm. And it works, 100% works. Uh, next up is the uh, second Roger Taylor song, Fight from the Inside, written and sung by Taylor. So here's another a song uh, performed by a different member of the band. And he also played uh, bass and rhythm guitar on this one as well. So both Roger songs, uh, he did the majority of the work on. Yeah, I mean, I guess he come up with that riff, you know. That's that's a pretty good riff for a drummer. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is a little more in the funk. I wouldn't call it disco it was it had more of a funk to it i think yeah i, I would agree with that kind of be, before they got into the the hot space era this is kind of their dipping their toes maybe uh, into the fu- into the funk before it kind of moved into disco but uh like you said a great riff uh, slash from guns and roses actually names this as one of his most favorite riffs of all time so frank from the inside i, I kind of like the, the the funky vibe of it um, uh, kind of the hidden one of the hidden gems, I, I think, on this album. Uh, we were just talking earlier. Roger Taylor songs can be hit and miss. Uh, I, I really don't mind uh, "Fright from the Inside" at all. I, I think his vocal is really good on it as well. But now we're, we're, we're flipping the sides now, old hand saw. We're going to side two. And uh, if I was doing a mixtape of Queen songs, this is one I would leave off. I'm not the biggest fan of Get Down, Make Love, uh, <laughs> which is an obviously a Freddie song, uh, very uh, uh, sexually charged in this one. Uh, was a, a staple for a while in, in their live shows. Uh, then it got, a, got put into a medley before it was phased out. Uh, not my favorite 
uh, just because of kind of the, the disjointed uh, feel of it. Right. But what are your thoughts on Get Down, Make Love? This is music porn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's just pure sex. You know, it's, it's not innuendo. It's, you yeah. know. Freddie is horny. He wants you to be horny. <laughs> and yeah, it's body language uh, uh, three years earlier than hot space. But I, but I would say go back and listen to it with a different frame of mind. Just think of the parts as like the bass is kind of like the thrust, you know, <laughs> and then the, uh, the drums is kind of like the heartbeat and the guitar is the little, you know, lip and tongue action <laughs> it's getting dirty already yeah. and then the little piano things are like the erogenous zones you know just kind of flaring up tingling you know you know you put a lot of thought into this <laughs> so do you need a cold shower or something uh, i want to need a cigarette after this <laughs> but uh no you um to get those in the verses and then it clicks into that G, you know i think it's g <laughs> i think it actually goes to a g major or something like that which it goes right know. into the g spot is that what you're saying exactly there, there you go. go so everything's grooving you know and those you know courses moving together but stop <laughs> not yet <laughs> but first so, I, yeah. had, I had christy mcgee getting horny over metallica <laughs> and i got old handsaw get worked up over uh, queen something about this ken knapsaw group in, in music that uh <laughs> we're, we're all just sexually frustrated you know there, there you go but uh, no uh, yeah it, it just you know like i said then you get to that whole interlude and that's just straight on intercourse yeah and release Every time I get high, I want to calm down. Yeah, I got you. Right. And then it just goes into that whole, uh, you know, Freddie doing his thing, you know, and yep. that's when you get all the weird guitar. And that's all guitar. That's not synthesizer. Right. That is all like harmonizers and, you know, digital effects. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it's an odd song. And also, if you had that on air collection, uh, the Deacon song, Spread Your Wings, they actually put that section <laughs> inside of that song. Oh, wow. Which is really weird. <laughs> I bet it is. I gotta, I, no, I, I, no, it's, not that, I it's it not that one. It's it's late. They put it in. Oh. It's late. No. And then Spread Your Wings does the It's Late section, the fast tempo. <laughs> okay. So it's all changed up. Jeez, I got to listen to that uh, album again. I haven't, I haven't picked that one up in a while, but uh, yeah, it, it throws you off when you listen to it. So uh, get down, make love. If you're getting, want to get tender with with a with a woman or man, uh, you should pop, pop on that track and let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and then we go from that to a pure blues song, uh, "Sleeping on the Sidewalk," another Brian May composition here, written and sung again by Brian May. So that's three tracks now, uh, not even sung by Freddie Mercury on this album. This is a three piece. Yeah, it's 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 Queen is the three piece, and it's just like your blues type rocker, you know. I think they said they did it in one take. Yeah, in one take, except one for the vocals. Take, except for the vocals, and uh, even possibly John Deacon may have hit a couple of bum notes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that just makes it real. It's also one of the few Queen songs to not have Freddie anywhere uh, right, vocally right. on the track at all. It's all Brian. Uh, so in uh, uh, the band's website actually said that they were unaware they were being recorded, but Brian says that's that's hogwash. They they knew. Yeah, <laughs> it was just and, one track with a backing track. And it's a neat little story because you know early on Queen had problems with their you know management, 
and this kind of throws back, you know, be careful what you wish for. You become famous, you know, you get a record contract. That's when your problems really start. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so we had, <laughs> we, we had the super horny song kicking off side two. Then we had the bluesy sleeping on a sidewalk. Now we're going to get into a little flamenco uh, mm-hmm. Latina type song. Who needs you? Uh, written by John Deacon, his second song in the album. Yeah. Uh, even as Brian May uh, playing a little Spanish guitar on it. Yeah, and I think uh, Deacon actually plays some acoustic too. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Brian May's putting like those little jazzy electric chords in there and stuff. So um, Latin song, uh, I guess. Uh, just Queen was a world band. You know, they, you know, back in the 80s in the U.S., you didn't hear a whole lot from Queen. Mm-hmm. But they were huge in South America and, you know, Europe. So, um, yeah, it just goes to prove that, that you know, probably uh, playing South Africa didn't probably do any <laughs> good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they were. Tons uh, of different world influence on the uh-huh. band, right? Yes, yes. And uh, you have a little maracas in there. There's a cowbell, uh, I think, at one point. Um, just just a, a really nice little uh, Latin number uh, that you wouldn't expect from the straight-laced, quiet, uh, white guy from the band. But right. uh, another hidden gem, uh, I think, on News of the World. Yeah, and it just it makes the album more diverse. Yep. And now we're coming to the hidden gem. This is the one that got us talking. It's Late, uh, written by Brian May. Uh, he he described it. He wanted to insulate to kind of be like a three act play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it kind of accomplishes that great vocal by Freddie Mercury. The chorus is amazing uh, with with the rising voices, with the it's late, and then the guitar kicks in, and then oh, it just I, I love everything about this song. Uh, to me, yeah. this should have been a much bigger single than it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Brian May was doing some early uh, guitar tapping techniques on that one too. And that's this is right, you know, a few months before uh, Van Halen One came out. So that's right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he, I guess, he didn't really overindulge in it, which that's kind of way Brian May is. He just he knows how to texture, you know, a song and not overplay. Mm-hmm. And it works perfect uh, on this track. Um, lyrically, it's great. I love the way it kicks off. You say you love me, but I hardly know your name. <laughs> just a great opening lyric yeah so I, i'm assuming it's a one night stand and it does it just keep going on or is it just yeah. a series of one night stands can he not make it's a lot of not too late if you yeah <laughs> should he be making a commitment yeah a mm-hmm. lot, lot going on in that track uh what about it uh what, what's your favorite uh, element of, of it's late I really like the tempo pickup at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just goes out. I mean, and some just brilliant drumming from Roger right at the very end. But it's almost a throwback to Sheer Heart Attack. Yes. You go back and listen to that. You know, it, it picks up where that left off. But uh, the vocals, I mean, the, just the uh, harmonizing. It's lay, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's a great build. It's really the, the best of Queen all in one track. You mentioned that drum exactly. roll of Rogers, amazing. Uh, the guitars sound fantastic in this. And yeah, the harmonizing. And, and Freddie just hitting that range with that much power. Like very, very few uh, singers uh, can yeah. match. Yeah, Brian let Freddie have that one. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, here you go, have fun. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and then we finish off, uh, again, sequencing matters, uh, kind of on, on a slow note. You have My Melancholy Blues, uh, written and performed by Freddie. Uh, there's no guitars on this, no backing vocals. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Deacon would play on a fretless bass and a piano uh, with Freddie. But uh, just a, it's one you heard a lot after he passed on. If you watch the Queen documentaries, you always hear My Melancholy Blues mixed in there. But I, I thought it was really kind of a, a great way to end the album. Right. It's a, let's just kind of like a bar, you know, put a tip of my jar ballad, you know, you get the feeling like he wanted to kind of be the guy at the piano, you know, just, you know, playing along, but you also feel like he wanted to be the lady on top of the piano, <laughs> <laughs> just belting it out. So, mm-hmm. um, an interesting version on that on air, there is a guitar textures on it. Oh, it's wow. really, and it's really nice. I almost prefer it because the vocals sound a little more intimate and he actually even drops the last vocal and just lets out a laugh and it's beautiful (laughs) and the song just ends. So if you ever, um, I think it's on Spotify, check it out. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I know it's on Apple Music, so uh, you can check it out there as well. It's been a while. I'm going to revisit it as soon as I hang up on this call with you, old hands. I'm going <laughs> to pop on Queen on air again because uh, News of the World, what can you say? It's one of the best albums, I think, uh, in rock history. Uh, 10 million units sold worldwide. It's one of Queen's most successful uh, albums. Uh, top to bottom, tons of classics. Only one song I would maybe get rid of if I could. Uh, maybe to wrap things up, old hands, your final thoughts on News of the World. Just... Um it's a good introduction album. You're getting vocals, you're getting guitar. You're just, I mean, it's, it's rock. You're getting a little bit of the orchestra, you know, the background vocals, not overindulgent, just straightforward rock. I imagine they just had a blast touring this one, which is probably why they came out with live killers. Not too soon after that, because mm-hmm. it was, it had to be easy to go out there and just play this live. Especially coming off of uh, a day at the races and uh, a night at the opera, right? Uh, a little tougher, especially like even Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, they had to actually play the opera s- section from the LP during the show and then come back and, and finish it off. So, not easy to do, but you can just pick up your instruments and blast in a sheer heart attack and, and get everybody up on their feet. It's awesome, right? And like I say, on this tour, they were they were a powerhouse you know they were they had a production they had a huge lighting rig and crew so it was uh they probably need some just <laughs> chill out and relax and just go out there and play for a bit that mm-hmm. uh, which it fits just kind of perfectly in, in the queen chronology uh, so if you're not a big queen fan and you're listening to this and you want to go back listen to some of their stuff news of the world like you said a great introduction uh, maybe from there you'll go back and listen to some, you know, Brighton Rock or something off a of sheer heart attack, you know, get into the heavier stuff. Or if you want more of the poppier Radio Gaga stuff, The Works is a great album. Uh, top to bottom, Queen is one of the best bands I think there there's ever been. And this has been a great album and a great show. Old Hansaw, thank you very much for joining us. And that's it. That's all, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me for these last 20 episodes. Thank you to all my guests. You've all been tremendous. Some great, great shows uh, over the past year. Thank you very much to Feeding the Monster. Uh, just a great place to get all your podcasting needs. And thank you for listening. Uh, I really appreciate those of you that did. Um, like I said, I had a, a great time doing this, but it's time I mosey on out of here and uh, leave it for the youngins. So uh, one final time, thank you again for listening to The Power of Positive Geek.
My name is Thor Odinson, the Asgardian Hammer, and I want to be your attorney. Has the year 2020 got you down? Are you tired of saying hashtag Grr Mondays every Monday? Well, then my legal advice? Tune in to the Feeding the Monster podcast feed every single Monday and catch the Hoot and Holler podcast. And I promise it will get you the smiles and the laughter that you deserve.